John Sewell here with the Engimit.com podcast. Really excited to have on the show a man who I, I don't know how to do the introduction correctly to give him justice. He uh, works with Mike Susson with a Primal Blueprint and uh, Primal Kitchen, uh, MoFo Supplements. We're going to get into that. Uh, World Championship Speed Golfer, uh, among many other things, Brad Kearns. Brad, welcome to the show, my friend. Oh my gosh, Sean, it's such an honor to be on. Uh, I, I called you out as having the best background of any uh, podcast out there. So if you're going to put this on YouTube, people can know what I'm talking about because, oh my gosh, it's just so exciting to, to learn all about Sean. He doesn't even have to talk. He can just sit there. I see, I see probably two dozen kettlebells. I see the split board, which I now know what a split board is because we did our, our little warm up in the, in the green room. So yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving what you're doing and uh, glad to be on. Well, I appreciate it very much, sir. Uh, uh, and his background as well. Um, he has a great podcast, uh, get over yourself, which I love the title. Uh, he covers great topics. Uh, the content you put out, Mark, it's just stellar. It's helpful. It's exciting, and your personality just jumps out, audio and video wise. So, this is going to be a lot of fun. And it's a Friday afternoon, which I know what you should do on Friday afternoons. So we're going to let loose. All right, so let's get into <laughs> it. Um, gosh, so you're working on a new project, uh, Mofo. Can we talk about Mofo for a moment? Yes, that is a acronym that stands for Male Optimization Formula with Organs. And I'm sure some of your listeners are into the ancestral living scene. Maybe they've heard of Ancestral Supplements, this wonderful company that makes uh, 100% grass-fed animal organ supplements uh, from uh, grass-fed cattle in New Zealand. So they're really popular with the, the distinct products that people like to take for, uh, you know, functional health. And it's been a long time ancestral tradition for uh, consuming organ meats. We're not all great at that with our daily uh, cooking, uh, you know, strategies. I'm still not very good at cooking liver. Now I just eat it frozen and raw because it, it tastes okay and I don't have to worry about cooking. Uh, but we made a new supplement specifically for uh, testosterone optimization, uh, optimizing male reproductive sexual health. And, you know, the funny acronym just came out. So uh, I take credit for being, being the wise guy that, that uh, nicknamed it MoFo. Uh, but like I, like I told you, um, you know, there's a lot of people pitching uh, stuff to throw down your throat these days. And you can find, you know, testosterone booster formulas uh, on Amazon until your, your eyes spin. And so what we wanted to do here was uh, kind of make this a comprehensive lifestyle movement where we're, we're you know, connecting with uh, the modern American, modern male in the, in the developed world uh, and noticing this massive problem in today's society, which is uh, decline in the average male testosterone levels. And since the 1980s, it's been declining at a rate of 1% per year. This is the, the general average for the population. So, you know, it, it's been, what, 40 years since the 80s or something, you know, so, so we're down, massively down from the, you know, the, the male experience of our grandfathers or even our fathers. And there's many reasons for this. You probably heard of the, uh, the compounds in the environment, the estrogenic compounds, which are now, you know, greatly accelerated from the old days. We're drinking out of plastic bottles, ones that have been heated up in the car while we're out hiking, then we come in. And so we're, we're, we're getting dosed with uh, poisons. Uh, but, you know, mainly it's because of hectic, high stress, modern life. And one thing that, you know, at least I can reference in my age group, I'm 55 now. So about half my life, Sean, has been... Uh, free from technology, free from hyperconnectivity, no devices. And then the other half, these things came into the picture and it's completely different than my experience of childhood and even, you know, into some of my adult years where, you know, we'd go do a workout. I used to be a pro triathlete. I trained all day. I'd come home and relax. I wasn't in front of a screen as soon as I walked in the door or at a stoplight during the workout. And so we had all this downtime where you could just relax or sit in the sun or talk to friends and have an actual social interaction before the age of, you know, endless social media and hyperstimulation. So there's so many ways that we can kind of try to reconnect with our, our genetic expectations for health, our ancestral experience. And that's what uh, you mentioned. Mark Sisson is his name. And we've been 
uh, working together for a long time promoting the primal movement. So you've probably heard of Mark Stanley Apple and the books uh, we've written, like the primal blueprint, the keto reset diet, the 21 day total body transformation he's showing to the camera. Uh, so, you know, this ancestral health scene has really exploded in recent times. And that's really great to notice. So this is kind of a uh, you know, a focal point of that, that's really near and dear to my heart, because I used to be an old time athlete. And instead of just telling stories about back in the day, I'm still trying to go for it, man. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like we need that edge in, in all the way through life. So I still have these wonderful goals. And I'm sure we'll talk more about how to, you know, how to keep that edge going throughout life. Oh, absolutely. No, I love it. And uh, yeah, he's being very modest by his accomplishments. Uh, uh, number one ranked USA Masters track and field, uh, age 55 to 59, high jumper. And I've seen the video. That's impressive. Uh, number three, world ranked professional triathlete. Uh, yeah, he's very accomplished. So, you know, words of, a, of a wisdom coming from him, from him are very meaningful. Um, and when I mentioned you're going to be on the podcast this week, uh, my fellow trainers at my gym, they they got goosebumps. I'm no kidding. Goosebumps ran into the office and grabbed these books, the Primal Blueprint and the Primal Blueprint 21 Day Total Body Transformation. And then they showed me the like um, the eight honorary ideas as well as the foundation ones. And I was like, yeah, these are great. Play with dogs. Get outside. You know, <laughs> structure. You know, pick up heavy things. Exercise intensely, briefly. All of these are like in my DNA and the way people I know train, uh, which we're probably going to get into about you know, uh, intense, high intensity interval or repeat training like Craig Marker was on talking about. Um, yeah, how to live your best life, how to thrive, right? And it's a lot of these little things, little adapt adaptations uh, that we're going to just give you guys nuggets of wisdom this actionable on. So that's a lot to say right there. <laughs> but um, so at 55, what is your, your average day or morning routines? What are your best practices? Yeah, I'm glad you uh, prefaced the question with uh, with my age because <laughs> I'm seeing, you know, there's a little bit of a different uh, perspective, different parameters here, and I refuse to, uh, you know, succumb to saying that. But I, I also have been uh, someone second guessed that quip. You know, when they say age is just a number, hey, it's just a number. And I remember someone uh, kind of stopped me one time and said, you know, it's not just a number. And if you keep saying it's just a number and you're not respecting, you know, the, the urgent need to, uh, you know, optimize your life for whatever age you're in and make those concessions to age so that you're not trying to do the same stupid stuff that you did when you were younger, um, we have to face reality. So it's not just a number, but we all know that uh, this has been scientifically proven. Deepak Chopra, the great new age author, has been talking about this for decades, that there are actually three relevant ages to the human. And one is chronological age, and that's the one we reference most often. How many birthdays have you had since the, the season of the heavy rains when Sean was born on the, on the great savannah or whatever, right? Uh, but there's also a concept called biological age, and that is your relative functionality in comparison to people of the same chronological age, right? You gotta have a reference point somewhere. So you can go and get your blood tested. You can check your testosterone levels. You can check the number of pull-ups that you can do, uh, your time in the one mile run, and all these benchmarks that will actually give you a relevant biological age uh, relative to your peer group. And then the final one, uh, which is what you know, Deepak focuses on and identifies as by far the most important, is your psychological age and how old that you feel. And of course, this is going to be strongly correlated with your biological age. If you're a sorry ass, bad shape, um, bad attitude, and you know, you're, you're not going to feel youthful unless you have that body to go along with it. But of course, they're not exactly the same, right? They go hand in hand. And so you know, nurturing this youthful spirit throughout life is super important. I think that's what I was kind of getting at when I'm saying I still have athletic goals. Uh, but in the great book, Ageless Body, Timeless Mind, uh, Chopra talks about the most common or the most profound uh, common factor found among pockets of centenarians around the globe was this youthful spirit and this sense of independence. Uh, the Blue Zones has now taken this to uh, a popular level where they go and identify these centenarian pockets. Mm -hmm. And the people, they, they don't feel old and feeble and helpless and all those things that we commonly associate with that steady decline into uh, you know a pathetic old age that is so common mm -hmm. and so 
boy, going after those, uh, those, those biological age markers. Uh, one interesting stat that we uncovered for uh, the, the book that we recently published called Keto for Life, we talk about longevity in that book a lot. Uh, this Cooper Institute in Dallas, Texas, they're the leaders in aerobics. They've been doing uh, this expertise since the 60s. Dr. Kenneth Cooper, who wrote the original book aerobics, uh, they found that a person's time in the one mile run at age 50 was the best predictor of longevity and life expectancy to age 80. So whatever your time is at age 50, uh, that's the best way to see if you're gonna make it to 80 uh, feeling good and, and being healthy instead of avoiding disease. And so just quickly for the listeners, um, if you're a male and you're over 12 minutes or you're a female and you're over 13 minutes, you are in the needs to improve category and you got some issues and if you can't, um, you know, if you can't reach that modest benchmark, that's kind of a brisk walk or a slow jog for people who aren't uh, familiar with, you know, getting, getting a mile done in time. That's um, you have high risk factors. If you're in the exceptional category, which for males is breaking eight minutes, females breaking nine minutes, um, you have this wonderful flying colors uh, expectation of a long, healthy, happy life. So uh, that's just one thing they pulled out. And of course, if you're a guy in the gym who maybe you're not that great at running the mile, but you can do uh, five sets of 20 pull-ups or, or do the, uh, the Murphy challenge like the CrossFit community does, of course, those are going to correlate to, they have a great study with firefighters uh, where uh, there's a push-up, I mean, yeah, push-up competency where if you can't do four <laughs> you're totally screwed. And if you can do over uh, 50 or some big number like that, you're doing great. So now this biological age concept is being, you know, widely appreciated as certainly more uh, relevant than the number of birthdays you've had. Oh, I love that. That was so well explained. I did not know about the, the mile for 12 minutes. Um, that's something anybody can go test. You don't have to do blood work. <laughs> you don't have to get your telomeres tested. You can just go do that. Wow. Anytime. And, I, and if you're at altitude, hey, people, I mean, uh, you know, get, get an adjustment factor there. My sister on her 50th birthday, I took her down to the track and she ran like a 915 and she was super pissed because nine minutes is the exceptional category. But, you know, she also hiked the, uh, the long way on the Inca Trail uh, in Peru for a week straight. And I said, you know what, if you can get over these mountain passes at 16,000 feet, you are in the exceptional category. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's just do it, doing the best we can with the tools we have and the, and the time we have in a day. But, oh my gosh, j just like you teed us up here, there's so much potential for improvement in so many areas. Mm -hmm. And it's not a huge ask either. It's not, and, and I think, you know, we've both been in the fitness scene for a long time. And you're talking about the working with the population who are intimidated, not naturally fit, they don't go near a gym because they just, it's not in their, it's not in their mindset. It's not their game, but there's so much you can do walking up and down the stairs in your home yes. that, you know, could be take you above and beyond an extreme fitness regimen. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think maybe it's like an Americanized way of looking at fitness. And it's, you know, I see it in the gyms all the time, high intensity interval training as an advertisement, you know, and to me, and to probably to you, and to Dr. Craig Mark and other people, we know that you cannot sustain that intensity for that long. And if you did, it's not doing you any favors, right? So I think that's that's one factor that might get in the way of some people's um, curiosity or pursuit of, of bettering themselves. And also, you know, not everybody going into a gym has to be going in there to set personal records or doing crazy stuff. Just going in there, just showing up, or do it your home. Like behind us, we have a bunch of tools, and we teach virtual classes to people at home who own nothing but a chair or a cat or a dog or a bag of food. You know, those are all tools. They are resistance. So long story longer, just, you know, be kind to yourself and own it that you have control of this. Um, and there's a lot of things we're going to touch on that can Im improve, like recovery, exposure therapy, uh, fasting, uh, times a day to eat. Uh, there's so many factors that go into it. It's not just calories in, calories out, and repetitions, and, and time, and sweat. But Yeah, I and mean, you also mentioned with that example of going into the gym, there are ways to do extreme damage to your health and your longevity prospects in pursuit of badass fitness goals. And I think we all have to recognize that um, 
you know, some of these people who are out on the leading edge of the, the six pack display and the, the huge mileage on their Strava device that they can upload and, and show everybody how many miles they pedaled or ran that week. Um, these people can easily uh, enter a high risk factor category of doing extreme exercise. Uh, I talked about the MOFO mission and optimizing testosterone. If you go over the edge and do too much exercise, you will trash your testosterone levels, whereby you can pick up the article in Men's Fitness and boost your testosterone with, with doing these ab crunches every morning and all that great stuff. But it's so easy to go over that uh, red line and plunge yourself into a state of immune suppression, uh, uh, hormone suppression, overtraining patterns, uh, breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury. And that was pretty much my life, Sean, for 10 yeah. years when I was a professional triathlete, because when we're out there uh, trying to get really good at a very precise and focused event, uh, which was, you know, the extreme endurance nature of swimming, biking, and running, uh, that came at a huge expense to my, not only my overall fitness, uh, but also my health. And, and if I wasn't pushing myself to the very edge of, uh, you know, preserving my health, someone else was training a little harder and they were going to beat me at the next race. So I had to get up there and just ask everything in my body. And, you know, it's a high risk, high risk reward ratio because trying to shave a minute off your time when you're already going fast boy, it's not something that's aligned with, you know, sustainability and longevity and all that. And that's fine. But, you know, getting back to that, uh, the start of your question, when you said at age 55, what do you expect? And I'm like, one thing I don't want to do is keep training like I did uh, back in the day, trying to go on the world circuit and uh, compete for a podium spot. And so it kind of opens up your perspective to, you know, what's, what do I really enjoy? What gets me going in the morning? Uh, what's a goal that's in alignment with my other lifestyle responsibilities today? Because I don't have six hours a day to obsess about training and, and rest for three hours after the six hour training block. Uh, so that kind of stuff has been fun for me to, you know, uh, evolve into a different kind of athlete that's, you know, really appropriate for my fresh new goals, which are uh, longevity, uh, quality of life. But then I got to keep a plug in there for having that competitive edge and having something that I really, really care about today, just like I did when I was an athlete racing at professional level. And I equate them completely in my mind, like the importance or the significance and the sense of satisfaction that I get from, let's say, clearing a high jump bar in a totally empty high school stadium that I had to hop the fence to sneak in, you know, to access the pits. Mm -hmm. And I'll scream, uh, you know, uh, with, with complete delight that I just achieved this goal. And it's just as significant to me as when I won the race in 1991 and was, was on ESPN on the cover of the magazine and all that great stuff, because that's all we have is our own, you know, our own pride and our own significance and our own goal setting and goal achieving processes. So that's never going to leave me, even if I'm, you know, the most obscure guy out there uh, doing something that no one else pays attention to or cares about. That's, that's, you know, that's all fine and dandy, as long as I have that passion in my heart. I dig that so much. And I know a lot of listeners will dig that too. Um, like you, I, I spend time in the gym as a profession, but I do not care about in the gym goals. I'm like, I, whatever good form, movement. I care about that. My goal is, can I take that split board up to the top of a mountain by myself? Nobody's there. I'm not trying to prove anything and, you know, see a new peak or a new angle. And that's it. That's my, you know, so that, yeah. that really yeah. resonates with me and a lot of people that are taking this content in right now. When yeah. They, I mean, it's, it's okay. I think, you know, when, when you see like a CrossFit athlete, they're so incredibly impressive mm -hmm. and their physique and their capabilities in the gym. And maybe they have no other aspirations outside of just performing well in the gym, but it, you know, at least that has meaning because they're going to go try to beat their PR in a signature workout, wh whatever it is, the, the Murph or the double Murph, like my friend, Dave Cobrain just beat all the uh, UCLA varsity volleyball players as a 58 year old man, just slamming a double Murph out in an hour 18 or some incredible time like that. If you know what double Murph is, uh, but you know, as, as you referenced too, um, I'm pretty much doing all this dedication to strength training and high intensity exercise in pursuit of some outside goal. And I think that's something that, um, you know, the, the average gym goer who's going in there and turning on the, the, the electrical machine and watching CNN for, um, 45 minutes 
there's probably some optimization there where they can put that to the test and say, hey, why don't you go climb the peak this summer uh, that your, uh, you know, your cousin invites you to every year and you're like, nah, I'm not in shape. Well, you know, there's something you can do to kind of put, put it out there, have a daunting goal and take those steps and enjoy the process all the way too. Absolutely. That's a great, great idea. Give it, get a carrot out there, you know, something to work towards. I love it. Well, when did, when did you personally um, kind of change your mindset or, or was there a person or uh, an event that an epiphany? Yeah, man. It was called getting my ass kicked on the pro circuit after, you know, uh, I, I, I raced for nine years and it, it was, you know, all or nothing, all immersion lifestyle from age 21 to 30. And at my very best, I was a national champion. I was ranked third in the world. Uh, I won, uh, you know, seven races in a row at one point on the circuit. So I was a guy that, you know, worked really, really hard. And I got to that high level where I was able to achieve my potential and be right there, you know, as I dream someday I could maybe achieve this, this great height. And then from that height, uh, the only place to go is down, especially because of the high risk that I reference. And so my last uh, year or two on the circuit, I was just a little tiny bit off. And when you're a pro athlete and you time everything and track everything, and I go out there and I run my trail and my usual time to, from the bottom of the hill to the gate is 15 minutes. My best time's 14, 12. I'm usually somewhere around there. And I look at the watch and it says 1603, um, you know, deep down inside, you're like, you know what, dude, you, you've had your, you've had your day. And now the writing's on the wall and it's a very, you know, it's a rude awakening for a young person who wraps their identity and their self-esteem into how successful you are at this incredibly challenging and intense and, and graphic, you know, presentable goal. I mean, everyone's looking at us running around in our underwear. It's a very exposed career where you, you can't talk your way into a promotion at work because you're more smooth talking than the next guy. You either get first or you get fourth or you get 12th. So when I was rudely, you know, shut, uh, shut down with my, with my career ambitions, that's when I had to, you know, kind of get back on my feet and go, okay, now what? And, you know, it's really, really healthy in life to say, you know, been there, done that. I'm not going to get stuck in some bad pattern. I'm going to look for new horizons, new challenges and new goals. And so that, um, you know, what was kind of fun was to like kind of explode out of the endurance world and realize there were other aspects of fitness besides how many hours can you pedal on your bike and what, you know, how many Watts can you pull and stuff. And honestly, like, you know, when I was a, um, uh, you know, an ex, uh, a pro athlete, you know, I would say, yeah, I got to, I got to start getting into strength training. And so a workout for me would be 12 pull-ups. That was my workout. I thought that was, you know, pretty badass. <laughs> and it was like, you know, that got me tired and that was enough. And so I kind of had to take these baby steps going, yeah, maybe 12 pull-ups isn't the most badass workout you can come up with. And so, um, the, the, you know, the next checkpoint I, I referenced was uh, when my kids were young and I decided to be the ultimate participatory coach because I wanted them to have a pure experience without any of that BS that we see and we read about where these overpressurized parents are, you know, uh, pushing and challenging their kids to go beyond what's age appropriate and place too much emphasis on the results. So I was like the fun, exciting coach that welcomed everybody of all fitness levels. And we always had the priority on, you know, personal improvement and, and personal growth uh, and, you know, competing really hard and, and getting the best out of our bodies, but always in the right perspective. So my job for a, a decade was to dominate these poor little kids in soccer, basketball, and track. So every time I came to practice, I'd lace up my spikes, my, my soccer cleats, and I would bring it to the maximum extent. I learned from other fathers too, where I was, I was watching one, one dad friend of mine, uh, Mr. DMC, and he was beating up on his poor little kid on the basketball court playing one-on-one, -on -one, just, just backing him down and making basket after basket and the kids like on the verge of tears. And then later I'm like, dude, what was that all about? And he goes, oh no, no, you got to bring it every time. You got to bring it and they got to see that competitive intensity and you can't let up at all. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So, you know, for, for a decade I had my, my fitness goal was so I could uh, be a competent coach and not get injured and, and strain a hamstring trying to run lines with the little basketball players. And what was cool about that journey was uh, right around ninth grade, maybe some listeners can relate if you're a, a dad and you got a kid. Uh, I went from MVP every year on every team to not even 
able to stay on the court and guard somebody who was, you know, now from going from JV to varsity or what have you. So, uh, you know, my son was very graciously inviting me not to participate anymore in the pickup games because my man would score at will every time because all of a sudden these guys are bigger, stronger, they can jump higher. And I went right into the stands and became the biggest cheerleader. So I went from the crazy coach to the cheerleader. And then I had to find my own appropriate competitive goals. And that's when I really picked up with a speed golf and high jumping, which uh, are my main passions right now. Oh, that's a fun, fun story. I love it. Oh, what a, a nice gradual transition into uh, what you're doing now. I had to look into what speed golf was, and um, it's impressive. Uh, the video you, you sent over, you're using a three wood or three iron. Is that right? Yeah. So, so for the listeners, uh, speed golf is an actual sport. It's pretty much grassroots underground. It's not huge, but you can look it up on YouTube. There's wonderful, uh, if you're a golfer and you're anywhere, any decent level of fitness, what we do is we go out to the course and we have an actual tournament, a competition where you keep score, uh, but you add your strokes and your minutes together. So we start off on the, on the first tee it's time trial start, like in cycling or something. Uh, and they time your trip around the course. So you're running at a pretty good pace is whatever you can muster. Uh, and you're hitting shots without any deliberation or any of that nonsense that most golfers engage in where they're looking at the wind direction and trying to choose between one of their 14 gloves, what club to hit. And they're not that good anyway. And it's all a waste of time and it takes four and a half hours and you don't get a workout. So this thing is the real deal. And you get a fantastic workout running around five and a half miles is what most golf courses are. And you're in this beautiful kind of uh, reactive Zen-like state where you're, you're in the flow state automatically as soon as you tee off, because all of a sudden you're running after the ball, you get to the ball, you don't have time to catch your breath or take a practice swing. You just look at your target and you swing the club and you allow your natural athletic ability to kind of come to the forefront rather than get buried by that analytical mindset that wraps us up into, you know, lacking confidence and being too deliberate and having too many swing thoughts and all the things that golfers complain about constantly. So what's really cool about these uh, tournaments is that most players shoot as good or better than when they take all day long with their caddy and with all their clubs, because I'm just carrying a small bag and I have five or six clubs and I just choose the most appropriate club and I have to invent these creative new shots where I'm choking halfway down the club to just hit a, a short punch with an eight iron because it's only 110 yards or, or what have you. So it's a really great challenge. It requires that fitness aspect, but also the, the other dimension of letting your mind go and just being in a reactive state as a golfer is, is a really great experience. Oh, but the video you saw is this little offshoot of the traditional sport of speed golf where they're doing a full tournament, 18 holes and putting strokes and minutes together. And I found on on YouTube one day, uh, there happens to be a Guinness World Record for the fastest single hole of golf ever played. So one hole, of course, it has to be a minimum length of 500 yards. So golfers know that's like a par five. It's a long hole, uh, you know, imagining longer than a quarter mile around a track. And this guy in England, Steve Jeffs, had this amazing viral video and his, his family dogpiled him at the finish line and he broke the record. And so I went out there and I was just like, obsessed with going for this record. It seemed like so much fun. And I had to set up this big, uh, there's a big approval process with Guinness. It takes 12 weeks to get approved to attempt the record. And then on the day of the record, you have to have like 10 people there to make it an official attempt. You need two uh, uh, timers, you need a filmer, you need a camera person, you need a golf expert witness, uh, you need a backup uh, uh, witness, and then you need two people that you've never seen before and never met before to be independent observers so they don't have a vested interest so it's not all your buddies saying, yeah, he did it. And so I had to assemble this whole dream team out there and I felt like the same level of pressure and you know, uh, intensity as I did back when I was competing as a pro athlete. And it was so fun as an old guy, 53 years old, going for this record. And I had this wonderful experience out on the golf course where you know, it, it was like a miracle to me because what I did was I got a birdie on the par five using only one club. I hit a three wood 
another three wood, I chipped with the three wood, and I putted with the three wood. And I practiced those kind of weird shots for months at the, uh, you know, for putting and chipping with the three wood. Uh, and so it was a really great, like, peak performance journey where it meant something. The Guinness World Record distinction was really cool because I can brag about that the rest of my life. But, you know, it was just like I mentioned, it was something that got me going every single day where I had to do these distinct practice sessions and learn how to sprint full speed as fast as I could and then hit a shot under pressure and another and another. And so really it was a do or die attempt because you're allowed multiple attempts to try to break the record. But if I'm sprinting full speed for 500 yards and I go back and try again, I'm going to be much slower on the second or third or fourth attempt. So I knew in my heart, like I got one shot at this record and everything has to come together uh, with, with no excuses and no, uh, you know, no, no going back and, and trying again. So uh, that's my speed golf story. And people can look on YouTube and uh, says Brad Kern speed golf world record. And don't worry, it won't take too much of your day because the, the hole only took a minute and 38 seconds. And uh, boy, what, what a lot of fun that was. Oh, that's so cool. And I'll put links in the show notes too for that video. It's, he's cooking. <laughs> it's impressive. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I was, I was training a golfer uh, this week and I was asking about this and he was very curious about it. So I'm going to fill in all the details on that. Uh, and that's, I like that style too. I don't like golfing for a long time. I like to be outside and hit the ball and run around. And like you said, yeah. the flow state, that's very relatable for a lot of, a lot of people who do stuff that they really love. Just don't think, just do, just react. Yeah. Just, just go. Yeah. Especially <laughs> in sports. Yeah. yeah. Don't get time to get up in your head and self-destruct. That's no, really, really cool stuff. Okay. So what, what, how do you train yourself for your, your fitness and your health desires? Well, one thing that, that, that's right, that was your first question uh, 20 minutes ago, what's my routine like? And one thing that's really worked for me is establishing this morning routine yeah. as soon as I get up. And I've never been that guy who's a routine type of person. It might be less important to someone who's already regimented and, and is dialed in every single day. But I've always been a go-with-the-flow person. I work for myself. I'm, I'm self-starter, self-motivated, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I got into this uh, almost four years ago now where I realized when I went out and did these crazy workouts with sprinting or high jumping, I would be stiff and sore for days after. And so I couldn't do the workout very frequently because it was so intense and so different than my morning jogging and, and, you know, the basic fitness activities that I did. So I thought if I could kind of elevate the platform from which I launched these difficult workouts, I would have reduced injury risk and I would perform better in the workout. So in other words, if I was doing some strenuous core exercises, uh, getting my hamstrings more flexible and mobile every single day for a little bit, then it wouldn't be such a traumatization for my hamstrings to go and sprint, uh, you know, a handful of times. Yeah. So I designed this routine. Uh, you can see this on YouTube. It's called Brad Kern's morning routine. And most importantly, this was something I custom designed for my goals as a high jumper sprinter. So whatever things that you're working on, maybe you have one visit to a trainer or a physical therapist and they give you some tips. You can kind of take that and create your own custom designed morning routine uh, that will improve things like mobility, flexibility, balance, agility, core strength, things like that. And so the cool thing about this was um, I wanted to make it something that I would do every day without question, without any trouble. So it's not an hour and 20 minutes of, you know, going and climbing the rope five times and doing box jumps and lifting a heavy bar. It was just something that I do when I get out of bed before I even looked at my phone or did anything else. And I thought it was about five minutes, Sean. Yeah. And then I, we filmed this video and, you know, I said, yeah, I want to show people what I'm doing. It's only five minutes. It's great. And it turned out that the duration was 12 minutes. So it felt like five minutes to me, but it actually takes 12 minutes because I do 30 uh, kickouts. I do uh, 20 frogs, one direction, 20 frogs. I do the exact same thing every day, right? Yeah. And the cool thing about that is sort of a meditative exercise because all I'm doing is counting and focusing on my form. Uh, I had a few times the experience of bringing my phone out because I'm listening to a podcast or something. 
and I start doing my thing. And guess what happens? I lose count because I'm not totally focused on the activity. It's not a mindfulness experience anymore. And so the penalty for losing count is I had to start over. So now I know from experience, I'm just focused on going through the sequence, doing the count, moving methodically from one move to the next, just like in a yoga class or something. And what's happened over time uh, for me is locking into this habit of the 12 minute routine where I felt really, really weird if I missed it or delayed it for whatever reason, if I'm heading off to the airport or something. Um, you know, it was just so locked in as a habit that I started to add bit by bit. I'd add another move to the end. I'd learn a new trick from uh, Tim DeFrancesco or Craig Marker, the, you know, the fitness people that I look, look to, and I'd throw that in. And now my morning sequence is minimum 35 minutes. Sometimes it's like 42 minutes because I do this, then I do this, then I do this, then I do this. And I feel like, that for me has been uh, a, a truly transformative uh, habit and behavior because now every single day I do something that's pretty darn difficult. I've taken a few fit friends through it and they were gasping for air. And I was like, really, is this hard? Oh God, you're damn right. It's hard. I'm like, oh, cause I didn't know I'd never done it or seen anybody do it, you know? So it, I'd say it's a pretty decent half hour of nonstop activity and then all my workouts are, you know, flowing from such a, a nicer, stronger starting point uh, that that's been, you know, just, just fantastic. And then again, it's not something that's so strenuous that it's going to mess up, let's say, a planned uh, high intensity training session, like a high jump practice or something. And oftentimes I'll do the routine and then I'll go off and do my proper workout. But other days I'll do the routine and then I got to go do a podcast and sit in a sit in a dark room for hours and hours not moving or, or getting, you know, little bits of exercise going. Mm -hmm. But for all of us listening, um, if there's something that you can say that you do for yourself, first thing in the morning, I highly recommend is a great time for a lot of reasons. But hey, I mean, if, if it's at nighttime or whatever, if there's something that you can say you do every day, boy, that can make. Uh, kind of uh, compound changes in your behaviors, your prioritization skills. I should also mention that after I do the routine, I jump in my cold tub and uh, people kind of know me as an advocate for cold therapy. I have the chest freezer and I go in there for five minutes. And so that's kind of paired with the, the stretching, the flexibility drills, and then the cold experience. And that, uh, you know, it's kind of probably say advanced for most people are not ready to invest in a chest freezer. But if, you know, taking a cold shower after a five or 10 minute stretching routine in the morning and you say, you know what, that sounds good. I'm going to commit to it and do it every single day. I predict that you'll feel an amazing, uh, not only physical, but like this psychological benefit of being a more focused, disciplined and resilient person to all the forms of stress and distraction. We talked about some of them off, uh, off the recording where, you know, here's this, here's this constant potential to get sidetracked from your intended workout. Unless you have 24 kettlebells in the background, then there's no excuse. You trip over and basically just pick them up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta move it out of the way, right. To get to the door and love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love what you said and it's so true. Uh, creating these structures, uh, whatever it is, mobility drills and the, and the cold exposure. Um, I, I can add to that too. My, my routine is, uh, even during this COVID is still, I get up or I used to get before and that's, 430 or 5. I, yeah, I love it. How do you do that, man? Circadian rhythm. What time do you go to bed? 8.15, 8.30. Oh, nice. And the lights yeah. are out at 9 or something like that? Oh, the latest, yeah. What so, about in the summer when it's light that, out? That's hard. That's hard. You're, moving, you're bumping it a little in the summer. We do bump it a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Right. Probably... 9 9 30 to very latest like last yeah. night yeah blake's my father-in-law was in town and we uh, went to bed at like 10 30 horrible sleep uh, <laughs> because of, that's impressive i mean it's the best time of the day but yeah. uh I, I i aspire i would love to do that but i feel like you know it comes back to bite me if i'm not totally adapted to it you know you got to get in that habit yeah like i say it's a habit for sure you know yeah. um, and what's great about at least that time frame is the dogs we get to uh, have most of the neighborhood to ourselves. you know, the, the sprinklers are just about to go off. So we get a free, like brisk little shower. If we time it just right, <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's great. And then also when we come back inside there, eat their food. I do my mobility. And like you, I, I don't do the, the chest cause I don't have a chest, but I do have a cold shower. That's free. You know, Turn nice. on, it's brisk, get your cognitive abilities dialed in. And yeah, that's just own that morning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For real. Uh, do you have any, uh, helpful advice on sleep. I know you talked on your podcast today and I'm, I'm going to link to that as well, but um, we can all do better about sleep habits and hygiene. 
Yeah, my, my experience is uh, in, in talking to people and, you know, conversing about it on the podcast, uh, just about everyone has the basic knowledge necessary, uh, but we just, we pay lip service to it constantly. We all know. Yeah. And I think um, part of it is this extremely hectic, stressful pace that we face during the day we feel like we owe it to ourselves to relax in the evening and unwind and enjoy um, a half a pint of ice cream and a binge of, you know, three or four episodes on Netflix instead of the uh, previously stated one that we, we started with when we sat down. I'm watching the Michael Jordan uh, documentary now, mm-hmm. and um, it's so amazing. And the footage and the interviews are so, you know, captivating for everyone who knows that story of, of his reign, but I've never seen it anything like this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm blowing past my bedtime every night because I'm, I'm so captivated yep. by the show. Yeah. Now that's kind of a, that's not a habit. It's, I, I don't watch anything in the previous three months. And then all of a sudden here I am, this guy who's, who's glued to the TV. But I think, you know, we deserve that break. We deserve that leisure time. We deserve to unwind. We don't have to be tightly wound and rigid uh, every single day. And I, I know, especially in this space with uh, podcasters and uh, self-styled health gurus uh, talking uh, about all these wonderful suggestions, you can easily feel uh, inferior that you're not quite measuring up to this badass level of the person that just you know put up a new YouTube video and showed you uh, their amazing tricks for a winning high energy, high money, uh, bring it all in uh, more you know what I mean? So I want everybody to kind of feel like um, little baby steps can count for a lot. You don't have to measure or, you know, compare yourself to someone who maybe does have more free time and doesn't have, uh, you know, screaming, uh, cranky kids or barking dogs in the background. So, um, you know, that, that said, oh boy, on the, on the other side of the, on the other side of my mouth, you know, I hear these quips like, hey, everything in moderation, uh, you know, might as well enjoy life. That's why I'm consuming this hostess pie. And we have so many excuses and rationalizations in modern life. And then we have this quote unquote average that's so pathetic. We should really change the word average to pathetic. Um, <laughs> and I, I was writing a, uh, or I was making a podcast recording talking about how I track my testosterone levels and I always want to see like the effects of uh, excess exercise will trash those things down 25, 30, 40%. Then I'll bump them back up uh, working on my sleep and all these things. And you know, my last several tests have been in and around the 95th percentile for males age 55 to 59. And as I was patting myself on the back saying, wow, isn't that great? I'm like, wait a second, you know, the average, the 50th percentile is so pathetic that you know 95 should seem to me average and expected mm-hmm. and nothing to you know be in a big celebration it's just normal and so i'm looking at normal and if my testosterone says 868 that's a serum testosterone the scale is 200 to 1000 um that's that's up in the highest percentiles but i don't want to accept anything less than that yeah. because that means I'm doing something wrong. I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm eating crappy food. Um, I'm, I'm missing out on uh, the many other assignments of the MOFO mission. So, you know, on the MOFO mission itself, you can find that um, you can download a free ebook and get everything I'm talking about. It's a wonderful resource. If you just look at bradkearns.com, uh, there's, a, there's a link called MOFO. You can't miss it. And there you go. All of a sudden, you're, you're in business with the, the 10 assignments of the MOFO mission. Uh, but the first one is called sleep is number one, because everything flows downstream from good sleeping habits. And so, you know, we shouldn't even mention those kettlebells in the background. If you're watching on YouTube, we shouldn't even really care about uh, what your workout pattern is or your, even your diet. If your sleep is horrible, it's going to compromise all those other goals. And so instead of paying lip service to it, we have to kind of, you know, hit these checkpoints in life where we say, um, do I want to uh, consume yet another show or, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to go to sleep and can I orchestrate my day so that, you know, I can wake up with uh, feeling refreshed and energized rather than, than dragging ass. And, you know, maybe people are getting better about it, but I think our environment could, uh, we could, we could improve that and make the room more dark and have less distractions and less clutter and less things that cause us psychological stress. There's studies uh, revealing that looking at a pile of clutter 
in your house, in your bedroom, an unfinished, you know, open box of tiles because you haven't quite finished the, the guest bathroom or in your corner of your bedroom, there's a stack of papers that are bills and things to file away. Looking at it provokes a stress response. It's subconscious. We don't even know. If I was standing there next to you and go, Sean, what's that pile in the corner? You'd be like, oh crap, that's these bills I got to deal with. Um, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but just looking at it uh, is, is you know, another way of compromising your, your mental health and your ability to relax and unwind. So getting the room dialed in so it's a sleep sanctuary and then throwing in these uh, routines. We talked about this off camera too. Like if you got a dog and you're listening right now, raise your hand. Okay, dog owners with your hand raised, you owe that dog at least two daily walks, morning and night, at the very, very least. I mean, if you live in a high rise in, in New York City and that's the best you can do is, is get a couple walks around the block, that's great. But for most of us, if you're gonna be a dog owner, forget about your own health and, and peak performance needs for a moment. Get the damn dog out of the house to walk around and smell things and mark their territory again since the, the, the scent is worn off from last night. And I mentioned that right now because if that can be your routine before bedtime, so instead of a show and then hitting the remote, turning off and trying to go to sleep, you get up, you go outside, you breathe some fresh air. Maybe you get a little cold, uh, like uh, Dr. Marker was just saying on his show, he lives in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Okay, not in the summer, people, but in the winter, he's walking around and it gets under freezing in Atlanta at times in a t-shirt, purposely getting a little bit of cold exposure, a little bit of hormetic stress yeah. so that his body can adapt. And it's a great way to, if you can't fall asleep well, um, lowering body temperature is one of the key factors in getting that melatonin to kick in and help you initiate the, the uh, phase starting with sleepiness and kicking into the sleep cycle. So I have the chili pad. You've probably heard of that. Yes. That thing's super cool. Oh, cool. If, if you don't know what that is, people can look it up, C-H-I-L-I. PAD and it's a, a water cooled uh, device that you throw over your mattress. And so you can kind of have a cool temperature on the mattress, especially now we're recording in summertime. And, um, you know, if it's hot out there and you've been, uh, you know, doing stuff after dark where your body temperature is still elevated, a cold shower and getting onto a padded device like that. Oh yeah. That's, um, that's a big winner. You may have just uh, pushed my decision making in the right direction. I'm going to show this to my wife because I've been wanting to get the chili pad for like two years. My friend Eric Frohart, retired Navy SEAL, recommended it. Um, and the best I could do was a cold shower before bed because I like it cold. I, I was camping a few days ago and it was like 30. I'm wearing my shorts, flip flops, and my, wow. my, and my, my wife and her father were like, It's cold. I'm like, It's great. <laughs> I'm going to sleep good tonight. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, you know, the um, temperature uh, stress that we've been accustomed to for two and a half million years. And now we've completely eradicated it with uh, indoor uh, lifestyles with you know, temperature controlled environments. And it comes at uh, a significant cost to our health and our resiliency. Uh, there's an article on Jack Cruz's website. It's extremely scientific and a tough read, but if you can get through it and pull out some uh, some basic insights. He talks about how important it is to uh, become cold adapted and to, you know, to have that um, ability to uh, withstand cold temperatures and prompt that antioxidant, immune boosting, cognitive function boosting response, and also uh, help yourself uh, burn, burn stored body fat mm -hmm. around the clock. Ben Greenfield was on his show talking about, he, he had the um, the continuous glucose monitor device uh, where he's monitoring his glucose with a smartphone. I've done the same thing. I'm going to do some shows about it. It's a really cool experience, but he said the single best regulator of his blood glucose throughout the day for the duration of the day was his four minute cold plunge that he tracked it to doing that cold immersion in the morning, uh, just set him up for a really great day of fat burning and regulating glucose, regulating appetite, all that stuff. So it's, it's a huge deal to go out there and get cold once in a while. I think we all do pretty well getting hot in the summertime and in, in the wintertime, you know, using a sauna. I'm a huge fan of almost heaven saunas. It's like a home sauna. You can get a kit and, and have one yourself. Uh, very, very affordable. And you can go in there all winter long and have that, uh, that heat stress, that temperature stress. The funny thing is when people come over to my house, Sean, they mostly want to try the sauna instead of the cold tub. I don't know why. I mean, they're both pretty awesome 
temperature stress. They have similar health benefits. You know, the, the heat shock proteins that you might've heard about in the sauna are very similar in effect to the cold shock proteins that are, uh, you know, released when you get cold exposure. But yeah, the sauna wins for the, uh, the usual visitor, but to have both is kind of cool. You can go back and forth and get really into this stuff. Oh, I would love to do that. And I can see, I know people, uh, like comfort and heat over the cold, but you know, <laughs> you know cold where it's at. I'm yeah. gonna, I, I, when I do camp, which is twice a week year round, uh, if the water's not frozen, there's a creek usually, and I'll go in the creek and just sit in the creek, or I'll, I'll do some mobility drills in the creek. I don't know what temperature it is, but there, it was snow, you know, 10 minutes up the, the hill. Oh, gee, it's brisk, yeah, and yeah. So I have that down, but for sauna, and I got this from our friend, Dr. Craig Marker, it's hot right now, it's like 98 degrees. If I go in my truck and I don't use the AC and it's a black truck, it's pretty hot in there. That's my ghetto free sauna. I know. I heard Craig say that on your show and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is, that is pretty hardcore because sometimes yeah. you want to jump in that car and you're looking forward to it after a hot workout or something. But if you want to be a, a true badass, get in there and get some temperature stress going. Yeah. Uh, hot and cold. Good stuff. Uh, what was the name of the one you recommend for the sauna, the home sauna? Oh, it's called Almost Heaven almost heaven and it's these kits you can get a very small one if you want an individual one or you can get like i have a six person barrel sauna and um really easy to assemble and you you know you wired up to um 220 pretty simple visit visit from the electrician and all of a sudden you're in the sauna business and oh my gosh it's just it's incredible going in there after a workout uh the the reduction of muscle soreness the next day everyone who goes in mentions this as uh you know an experience and uh, just the the health benefits. I mean, they've only been doing this in Finland for 850 years. So there's some pretty good data that this is a way to become a more resilient human being, to boost immune function, uh, get an amazing anti-inflammatory response and on down the line of, uh, besides the relaxation effect too, which is one of the things I appreciate the most is I just go in there. Well, the first thing I do is I go in there and I do 40 push-ups and 40 squats. So I'm starting to sweat profusely. Why waste time sitting there when you can accelerate the experience? And so then when I'm sweating profusely, um, I'll just lay down and I'll go into this incredibly relaxed state uh, for you know, 15, 20 minutes, the appropriate time length. I'm not in there for two and a half hours being an idiot, right? And, and feeling, feeling terrible, but uh, that, that restful effect of a, an appropriately timed sauna, same with the cold tub, which is only five minutes, but man, you can get into a really wonderful relaxed state very quickly when you're experiencing that temperature stress because that's the, uh, the, the, uh, the kind of the first fight or flight reaction by the body is to you know, adapt to it. That's so cool. And I thank you for giving us the proper timing as well. Um, to speak to this point, my wife and I got married in this little like bohemian hippie hotel in uh, Riviera Maya. And they had this oh. thing called thalassotherapy. It's cool. They, um, it was the, the sauna, the dry sauna, wet sauna, and then the, the cold. The, but no, like you said, nobody wanted to get in the cold water, right? So you would go through these cycles of the cold water, uh, dry sauna, wet sauna, cold water, and... Uh, it was a good way to get married that day. Just no stress. Just went right. How in. fun. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've been, uh, I was down a resort in that area and they had the, the cold water bucket on top and you pull the string and it dunks oh. you and then you go back in the sauna. Fantastic. Wait. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. There's a lot of really great information. I've got, I've got pages of notes here, Brad. <laughs> and I'm getting... As usual on the Engearment podcast, <laughs> notes all the way. All the way. Oh, um, and also speaking of sleep, I, um, do you wear like uh, blue blocking glasses and have other things like that you recommend? Yeah, my main man, the, the boy wonder, Matt Maruka, the, the founder of raoptics.com, raoptics.com. And this guy has been like a health leader and a health resource since he was 18 years old. You can search for his name and listen to him on podcasts. And he's extremely uh, steeped in the, uh, the science of uh, light therapy and, and blue light exposure and the health compromising uh, things that can happen in modern life. So he was a really interesting podcast guest for me. And I definitely went to his place and got, uh, got a pair, very stylish and very high quality blue light blocking lenses. Um, it's been reputed to have a, you know, a huge impact on the ability to kind of align with circadian rhythm, uh, protect that melatonin onset. It's called DLMO, dim light melatonin onset. And that's what's supposed to happen 
uh, in the hours after the sun sets in our environment as we start to get sleepy a couple hours later, your eyelids feel heavy, your brain slows down, your body temperature drops. These are all things that happen like when you're out camping. I'm sure you can experience all these and, and they're very regulated and very uh, noticeable. But when we're home in the air conditioned environment, we got more uh, stress on the screen in front of us, more stimulation, then all these things are arrested in favor of a stress hormone spike, the prominent stress hormone being cortisol. So if you can kind of regulate cortisol production at night when it's supposed to be down and you're supposed to have the, uh, the sleep hormones coming up, uh, putting the, the blue light blocking lenses on there can be a huge help. Sweet. Then it, I, I had the uh, RA optics website right here. I'll put that in the, lo- the notes as well. A lot of my colleagues, they swear by them as well. It's uh, I like it. It works for me too. And also there's settings on your computer. You can do to like F lux. We can dim it down at certain times and, yeah. Yeah. I have a program called Iris Tech. Uh, so I R I S Tech. And this one's a little more sophisticated than the free program FLUX. Uh, but I think for like $14.99 for a lifetime membership, you can choose like 10 different uh, screen temperature optimizing settings uh, and go down to, you know, really, really mellow if you're like just watching a show or something. You don't need the bright lights. Uh, but all these things, uh, they they really work and then they also are sort of like the um they they motivate me to not have the screen on at all it's kind of funny like you know i have my blue light blocking glasses and i even have a set of computer glasses uh, that i got from raw optics they do prescription and i try not to use them even though they're fantastic because what am i doing uh with you know computer glasses on typing on the computer after dark is there is there a better way to do this where i can just skate past all that so it's kind of like when you have a gym membership my gym's like two miles away. It's very convenient. I can ride my bike there. But a lot of times when I'm busy or whatever, I, I look at, uh, you know, my gym tag hanging on the wall and I'm like, uh, could I go over there or should I just knock out another set in the backyard? And I, I choose the home base workout, uh, just motivated by the idea that otherwise I have to go to the gym. It's kind of funny. Oh, I, that's so relatable. I am. Um, I'm fortunate that my, my gym I train out of is really amazing. Uh, we've hosted strong for certifications there. It's more than anything right. you and I would ever need. 99% of the time I just turn around. <laughs> I'm like, that will work great. Yeah. Then my yeah. doctor right there and get pet them when I'm stretching. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, they, there's, there's whatever it takes and the social aspect of working out in a gym is great. I'm sorry. We're limited by that in 2020. Um, but there's always something that'll, you know, keep you, keep you interested, keep you motivated, get an accountability workout partner is awesome. Mm-hmm. And in my case, like, um, just looking at the stuff visually having it in my visual field, that's why I'm teasing you so much about those kettlebells. I can't stop looking at them. I'm supposed to be making eye contact with our, our camera. No, I mean, to have them visually there. And I talked to my colleague at Primal Blueprint, Lindsay Taylor, she's a, a social psychologist and she uh, can cite research really beautifully. We quoted her in our book saying that, yes, if it's in your visual field, it's a huge difference from having all your gym equipment in a drawer or out of sight or you know, not as accessible as right there in your face. So um, you can't see it on the camera here, but in my house I have all kinds of hanging contraptions. Okay, I'm gonna reach over. I just reached two feet over and there's my stretch cords right there. Yep. And um, I should also give a, um, a mention for this new device that I just discovered called the X3 bar uh, invented by Dr. John Jaquish. You can look at Jaquish Biomedical or just type in X3 bar and you'll see this home training device. And I think it's one of the great breakthroughs that we've seen in, in the fitness scene in a long time. And it's basically a very, very thick resistance strap uh, listeners are probably familiar with the bands you wrap around your ankles or uh, the, the straps that you, you, you stretch and, and pull for a workout. Uh, but it's interesting because um, the movements that are uh, part of this program, um, when you have the, uh, when, you, when you stretch the strap as far as possible, that's you know, obviously the most difficult rather than when you're stretching the strap to begin with where it's, you know, it's slack. Um, but it's the opposite of the resistance provided by, let's say, a barbell. So when I'm bench pressing in the gym and you load up that bar, 
with 130 pounds, which is pretty much my maximum, man. I, don't laugh, listener. I see you through the, through the airwaves there. But the reason I can only bench press 130 is because of the first three inches getting it off my chest or the deadlift, it's the first six inches off the ground. That's why I can only lift 200 rather than 225 is getting it off the ground is the most difficult. But if you think about uh, stretching a strap or you can watch the video after the show, um, the, the opposite is true, where the, the place where I have the most force production is when my arms are almost extended at the end of the bench press, back to that example, right? So if, if you were to like lift a 220 pound bar all the way up to almost where my arms are extended. Yeah, I could do a few reps of 220 because you helped me do the first 18 inches of the move. Uh, but otherwise I'm constrained. I never know what it's like to put out that much power because I can't lift it off my chest. Now imagine instead of a, 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 a weight, I'm stretching a very, very thick stretchable tube. So it's easy to get it off my chest. It's easy to do the first 12 inches of the move. And then when I get from 18 inches to 24 inches, that's when I'm actually pushing an equivalent of 200 plus pounds in a bench press that I could never do with the bar. So it's pretty wild, and I think the, the end takeaway is you get a really, really difficult workout in a very short time because of your ability to work that maximum range of motion, maximum force production range of motion that you never could because you're constrained by a bar. So it uh, might be a little technical for most people, but there's a lot of good stuff you can do with today's devices. Oh, for sure. And uh, during this whole COVID thing, the... <laughs> The, the people who are, are winning besides the dogs and construction crews is fitness companies. I, I swear to goodness, we cannot track down kettlebells for our, our, my students. It's, it's almost impossible. Uh, but like a TRX or this system right here, the X3, or other tools that are, are available, they really work. They're fantastic. Um, and they're portable. And they're affordable. You don't need to go get a squat rack. This, uh, you know. Besides that, uh, they're, they're, they're no good, right? Portable, affordable, effective. Yeah, yeah. So here. Oh, that's really good stuff. I have, I think I have like 20 tabs open for notes to put into this. This has like been the most amount of <laughs> ever <laughs> assimilated. Wild times. Yeah. Well, they are. Oh, there's one thing I wanted to talk about, and we, we talked about this off, off camera, off record, about compassion, vulnerability, uh, kindness, empathy. Um, a couple of podcasts ago on your show, you mentioned uh, Brene Brown's work, and uh, I, I love her work too. And um, I think now more than ever, just a little more compassion and empathy for, for people uh, we, we see, we love, we care about. Um, and I see that's part of the MOFO mission number 10, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this, this MOFO mission I talked about, uh, the, the 10 assignments, you know, get your sleep going, get your diet, get, do your workouts properly, do more daily movement. And number 10 is quit being a dick to your girlfriend or wife. <laughs> and the idea here is that the hormonal underpinnings of a romantic relationship are huge. They're like a make or break factor in your happiness, your longevity, your quality of life, your life expectancy. I mean, it, it's, it's truly the most make or break thing we have. And all the research shows that, you know, happily married couples uh, live much longer than people who are single or lonely or in a dysfunctional relationship. And one of my favorite podcast guests that I've had on is Dr. John Gray. He's the number one best-selling relationship author of all time, uh, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and the many sequel books over the previous 25 years. And he has a new book called Beyond Mars and Venus, where he talks specifically about, in the male's case, your testosterone can be shot through the roof if you're in an exciting romantic relationship where you're seen as the hero or it's a new courtship, which is obviously everything's so easy when you're first getting going and everything's wonderful and you buy flowers and you surprise your girl and you, you get on your knees and invite her to go to Riviera Maya for a vacation. And then you're surprised her with a, a cold plunge and a hot sauna and a wedding ring. All those things are fantastic for hormone optimization and making you feel like the best you can be. And conversely, when you're in these argumentative patterns, 
where you're incapable of honesty, authenticity, vulnerability, and all the things that Brene Brown talks about. And she talks about the negative aspects of being walled up and closed up and incapable of expressing yourself or being, you know, being, being true to your own emotions, things like that. Uh, then we have the ultimate way to trash your testosterone levels and get into these deficiencies. And John Gray describes how if you get into a deficiency, it has a tendency to spiral downward because when you're testosterone deficient that indicates that you also have poor regulation of your emotions you're going to be emotionally reactive cranky bitchy moody ang easily angry and so the next time uh, someone cuts you off in traffic and we usually have that uh the usual thing we yell is like man that guy's got too much testosterone why don't you calm down in actual fact biologically uh, the truth is that they have a they're showing a behavior that's equated with testosterone deficiency because testosterone is not just the male aggression hormone. Uh, Ashley Merriman, a best-selling author of Top Dog, The Science of Winning and Losing, she calls to, she studies testosterone. Uh, Poe Bronson, co-author, I give him credit too. Uh, but they talk about testosterone being the social hormone or the social status hormone. So it promotes the behaviors that help you rise up on the social strata in your group. So uh, if it's you know the athletic excellence and the pure strength and power and all that. Of course, yes, the guys in the NFL who are scoring a touchdown have high testosterone, but they also studied uh, chess masters and found that the, the winners of the tournaments had much higher testosterone than their vanquished opponents. And they were able to focus better and concentrate and all these fascinating insights. Um, she also provides an interesting uh, example of the uh, fire department crew is called to the burning building emergency. There's people inside, they need to be rescued. Okay, so two of the guys go in with the ax and slam that door down, grab the distressed uh, person and carry them out. And so their testosterone is through the roof, asking for peak performance and strength and power and fearlessness to go do their job. But then when the patient gets to the paramedic in the ambulance, the paramedic is having to make a series of quick calculations to give them the right dose of medicine uh, to chart down everything precisely. So when they transfer the patient to the hospital, the doctor knows exactly how many cc's of uh, fluid they've received at what time period. So they're needing to be calm and mellow. They don't need their muscle strength. They need their brain and their emotions to be regulated. So those are the signs of a testosterone optimized human. And back into the relationship example, uh, John Gray's assignment for the male is, look, you got to be the Kung Fu master in the story. You have to maintain this air of being calm, cool, and collected at all times. And that means emotional regulation, emotional self-sufficiency. So you're not at the ebbs and flows of whatever happens to you in daily life. Everything's cool. You're going to work it out. You're going to figure out a solution. That's what males are good at. That's our primary biological drive. And on the female side, uh, she needs to nourish her estrogen and feel like all the female that she can be. And she's protected and cared for by the male because the female primary biological drive is to nurture, connect, uh, and, and, and love and support and all those things. So if we can figure out just the very basics of relationship dynamics and not turn it into dysfunction, oh, mercy, that's, uh, you know, that's going to be a huge breakthrough right up there at the same level of uh, trying a new fitness implement that I just talked about or uh, getting the junk food out of your diet. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I, I love all of this. I think we need to have a part two to, <laughs> to go farther down because uh, I know you have a, an appointment in a moment here. Um, Brad, thank you so much for your time. I've learned so much in this, this uh, chat. I'm going to have links to everything below. And to listeners out there, check out Brad Kearns on all of his website, his books, all of his materials. Fascinating human being. Much love to you, Brad, to your family, and to you listeners and viewers. And right you. on, Sean. Yeah, back at you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it very much. Have great a great stuff. Time. So so good. So good. Right uh, on. Part two coming up soon, guys. Uh, I'd love to. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm.